Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope you enjoy this podcast and we pray that it blesses you. For any information on this sermon or our other resources, visit thrivechurch.co.nz. Man, how awesome is it? 2018, we're 14 days in. Um, Who's having a good year so far? Yeah, come on. You can be vocal this morning. Don't you just think it's a little bit funny how when we get to December 31st, everybody does it. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, or whatever. You, everybody gets to December 21st, 31st. Oh, mate. I'm going to need water this morning, I think, Jared. Thanks, bro. Um, <laughs> We get to that moment, it's 11.59, and all of a sudden we start making a lot of noise. There's cheering, there's counting, there's guys trying to find the closest girl possible. Hopefully it's their wife. Um, and, and it hits midnight, and you grab onto your wife, you give her a kiss, and, and we all do this across the world. Everybody does this. We say, do you know what? I'm going to do something to make this year better than last year. We all make uh, resolutions where we say, do you know what? This year, hot summer bod 18, that's me this year. Or maybe you go a little bit more spiritual and you say, do you know what? I'm going to read my Bible in a year, cover to cover. Maybe, maybe that's, that's what you're going to do. Or, or maybe you go and say, do you know what? I'm going to go junk-free July because I need that much time to work up to it. That and I always mix up July and January, and I meant to say January. <laughs> or maybe you go, do you know what? This year, I'm, I'm not going to drink Coca-Cola, um, which is hard because every establishment in the world serves Coca-Cola. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're in the middle of um, where Jared's going, you can still drink Coca-Cola. Anyway, over the next 20 minutes, um, what I, I want to put forward a thought to you. Um, I've got a thesis this morning, and I want to build a case um, using a few big words. So I'm going to use this. This is what I'm going to use. Going to use psychology, theology, history, and biology to actually prove to you this morning what I'm saying isn't just airy fairy, but it is factual and it is true. Is that are you okay with that this morning? All right. So this is my thesis this morning. The best thing you could do to set yourself up for 2018 to get the most out of 2018 is make a commitment to church. So I'm going to break this down. Pastor Glenn in the front row is like, love that. That's good. So I'm going to break this down because I want to make sure that, that, that you're not misunderstanding me. The first half I'm, is not a promise. I'm saying the best thing you could do to set yourself up to get the most out of 2018. I'm not, promise, I'm not saying that if you do these three steps this morning that you're going to have like health, wealth, and prosperity. But what I am saying is that it's going to set a foundation for God to move in your life for um, incredible things to happen. And it's going to set yourself up to win in 2018. Is that all right? We're on the same page. You're not going to walk away and be like, man, Mitch promised and it didn't happen. And so I'm going to go to a different church. No, none of that. None of that. Okay. And the second half, half of this is making a commitment to church. And I want to make sure that we understand what that means as well, because I don't just mean 
coming along here on a Sunday morning. I do mean that. Um, and as Pastor Christy Arth, the previous senior pastor here, would, would, would have said, when we come together on a Sunday morning, it's like a family coming together um, at the dinner table. And so Sunday mornings are really, really important. But as what Pastor Glenn says so, so often, here on a Sunday, we're, we're shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, we're learning, we're, we're encountering God, but you know, we're just sta- sitting next to each other. But In life groups, we're actually in circles. We're heart-to-heart with people. And I know for me, some of the deepest um, moments of relationship building have happened in my life group. And Josh and Liz, my life group leaders, are just like cracking up right now because they're like, all we talk about is um, married things. No, that's not what we talk about. Um, So moving on, we talk about Jesus and eat all of um, Liz's fantastic baking. Hey, bud. That's my son there. Proud of you. So my message this morning is, um, is a case for the church. So we're going to start off with a few things, um, which I'm calling the given this morning. Um, this is just a few things just to set the foundation for um, my four arguments. And these are things that I've, I think every single person in this room could, could 100% without a doubt just agree upon. All right, first one is you were created. Is there anyone that disagrees with that? Is there anyone that wasn't made here? No? All right, silence in that moment was really good. All right, and what about this one? When you got here, there was an earth, a sea, and a sky already waiting for you. Would we all, would we all agree upon that? You can give me some noise there. All right, so you were created being when you arrived on planet earth, it was already waiting for you. You didn't make it. And this is the third one, is created beings, we think. Is there anyone that doesn't think here this morning? You don't have thoughts. You don't have a mind. You don't have emotions. Anyone? No? Okay, so we're all in agreement on these three things. You're created in a created world, and as a created being, you have thoughts. You've got a mind. You've got emotions. Is that cool? We're on... We're on all in this together? All right. So here we go. Psychology um, is the study of, of the human mind. So if we take what, we, what we've got, the given right now, that you've got a mind, we look at psychology to actually tell us what our mind needs. Because just as our flesh and blood need oxygen, food and water to survive, our minds actually have emotional needs that, that, um, that we need to, that need to be fulfilled for our survival. And when looking into the subject, I came across a, this incredible TED talk from um, Dr. Brene Brown um, on the power of vulnerability. And in this talk, she opens up this, um, what, she, what she says is the, the most um, simple human need for, um, for every single person, doesn't matter whether you're black, white, straight, gay, whatever it is, whether you're a Christian, Muslim, Jew, or you go to the Church of Scientology, everybody has the same basic human need, and that's to belong. 
she shows this by looking at vulnerability being vulnerability being the thing that um, tells us to close ourselves off like if I'm vulnerable with you then you might reject me and so I'm going to keep myself um, closed off but vulnerability is this is the thing that also goes man I'm going to be vulnerable and and I'm going to open up and when I open up and you accept me I feel belong I feel belonging I feel like I'm a part of family and so there is, I, I wish I could go into it, into that way more, and we could talk about this for probably the next couple of hours, but I really don't want to do that with your time, um, and I know we've got one service, but let's not make it four and a half hours long. So for the sake of time, I need you to trust me on that. Um, if you want to go listen to it, it's called The Power of Vulnerability. It's 20 minutes long, um, and everyone should actually just go listen to it. We see this... In scripture as well, we see um, King David has got his mighty men. Um, we see uh, Jesus has got people that he walks alongside with. And so psychology shows us we need people. Uh, psychology shows that um, that we need belonging, we need family, that we need uh, people that are committed to us, that we're committed to, that there is, like, that's the desperate need. And so... We can see this when we just look around. Man, next door we've got RSA. That's a place of belonging. We've got um, cafes. Do you know, like 90% of people that come into a cafe are the same people every day. It's like it's like they feel like they belong there. We've got um, the Lions Club. We've got Boy Scouts. We've got um, like a billion different religions. We've got all of these things that you could belong to. Because the most desperate need for every human to survive is to belong. So you're happy with that? Everyone agrees with that? Do you know what? If we stopped here right now, any of those things would be a valid, a valid use of your time. And I'm, do you know what? They are. Like if you want to go get involved in something, maybe a football team or whatever, that will be incredible. But as Christians, we have to look and go, okay... God knows that our bodies need oxygen, so he makes it pretty available for us. God knows our bodies need water, and he makes it also very available. And then God makes it that we need food. And you can literally eat almost anything. Like, have you thought about the fact you can eat grains, animals, plants? Like, you can probably turn sand into some kind of food. Some vegans probably tried it somewhere. But there's so much available, like, for our our physical needs and so if God would do that for our physical needs, then I so think that he would do that for our emotional need as well. And so God will have set a foundation, set up something where there is an abundance of belonging. And so we look in at, this, this takes us to theology. We're going to read from Ephesians 2, 18 to 21. If you've got your Bible with you, you can grab it out. Um, Give you one moment to do that while I sip this water loudly. Ah. All right, starting at verse 18, Ephesians 2 18 goes like this. For through him we have we we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you who you are fellow citizens with your fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation 
of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. How incredible is that? See, it talks about in in this verse that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, um, there's a moment of transition that takes place. And if if you've never made a decision like that, then later on in the service, there will be an opportunity for you to make the best decision you'll ever make in your life to say yes to Jesus. But as a product of our salvation, we actually, we don't just go from death to life or hell to heaven or uh, light to dark, or darkness to light. <laughs> you better get that one right. But we actually go from being aliens to members of the household of God. And it, it says here that the household is built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And there's only one thing that Jesus Christ established that he used the apostles and prophets to build the foundation for, and that's the church. So we can confidently say the household of God that is being spoken of here is the church of Jesus So whenever we see language in Scripture like the household of God, the body of Christ, or in the New Testament specifically the people of God, and the Old Testament it refers to something slightly different, but in the New Testament we know that God is, is the writer is describing the church. I think there's something important about the term household um, in, in the language used in this verse because it shows us um, something specific about the way the church functions. If, if it had just said you are no longer strangers but a part of the church of God, then we'd probably go, okay, well, I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to you know, come in, get my 15 minutes of entertainment and then fall asleep on the back row and then like, I'll get my free cup of tea and then I'll head home. And that's cool. I'll do that maybe once every month, once a month or something like that. But it actually, it doesn't use that language. It uses language of citizens, members, and household, which, are, are all language, which is all language that implies and shows this picture of belonging. It actually uh, shows us that God's idea for church is not just to be an attender, but actually to be a member, to be a part of the family, to be a part of connection. And so we can see from this that God has created the church as a, as a place where a belonging is in abundance. So if psychology shows us we need people, then theology uh, says that group of people is the church. Is that cool? Say that again. Psychology shows we need people. Theology says that group of people is the church. The Probably the biggest objection here, and you probably have heard it, is it's, you can hear, you can go, someone will go, all right, well, do you know what? I agree. We need people, and yet I believe that Jesus established the church um, as a place for that. But, man, 
Mitch, like, that was 2,000 years ago. Like, how can we know that um, this church that I'm sitting in right now, like, how, how, like, how can we know that that's accurate? I mean, like, if I wanted to, I could be Baptist, Anglican, I could be Presbyterian, I could go to a Catholic church, a Roman Eastern, Eastern Orthodox church, I could be, uh, I could go to, like, the Church of Latter-day Saints, that's not a Christian church, but, you know, like, there's all these denominations, I could be Pentecostal, but if I'm Pentecostal, maybe I could go to AOG, or I could go to New Life, or I could go to this other church, I could go to ACC, or I could go to, you know, whatever. How do I know that we've got the right recipe? How do I know that it's that the church is actually the church being talked about? I think the easiest thing is is just to go and you know have time with Jesus at my house, not come to church. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I don't need people. I, I just it's it's not trustworthy. Two thousand years is too much time, um, and I just like I can't see it in the Bible. That's an issue. There's no example of what a church service looks like in Scripture. Like, we don't, we don't see it. We see councils, and we see people um, doing stuff in homes together, breaking bread in homes together. But, man, I don't see a, an example of what church looks like today in Scripture. And, that, like, if we, if we were to stop there, that would be a real problem. Um, because I think that, like, that's a pretty valid argument. But one of the things we, we will do in church history is when Scripture talks so clearly of something like church, and we can't see a specific example of it in Scripture, we look at the people, um, the, the church leaders and their writings that came um, just after the apostles, um, who actually knew the apostles, understood what they were, what they were actually saying when they were teaching, um, and, and actually see some of the practical things that, that they did um, as, as examples for us, as people who actually were in that space, who knew the people that wrote Scripture. Um, there's this one incredible guy, his name's Justin Martyr. That's not his last name, that would be really unfortunate. He's called Justin Martyr because he was a martyr. Um, I don't know what he was called before that when he was alive, but I, hopefully it wasn't that. Um, but Justin... He, he was this incredible, incredible guy. He was a, a second-century apologist, and what he spent most of his life doing was actually writing letters to the Roman um, emperor and to other um, officials in a time of persecution trying to uh, fight for the rights of, of Christians. Like, what an incredible man. He writes this uh, letter to uh, the Roman emperor, Antonius Pius, defending the church. And I'm going to read a little bit to you this morning. Um, and like the first time I heard this, I straight, like, I straight up cried at how incredible this is. But listen to this this morning. And on that day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. See, they even cared about producing in second century church. Then the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things, then we all rise together and pray. And as said before, bread, wine, and and water are bought, and the president in like manner offers prayers, thanksgiving according to his ability, and the people assent, saying, Amen. There is a distribution to each 
um, it goes on talking about how the bread and wine is dis- distributed. I'm not going to go through that because that's quite long. Um, and then it says this. Um, and, and they who are well-to-do and willing give what each thinks is fit. And what is collected is deposited with the president. And then it goes on to talk about how what they actually use the, the money that is, um, that is taken up. And so we, we look at this and we have weekly meetings on a Sunday. We have the readings of the, memoir, the uh, memoirs of the apostles and the, read, and the writings of the prophet, which we would know as our New and Old Testaments. Um, they have, there is a, a part where the president, which is just a secular way of saying the, the leader, the pastor, would get up. They would exhort the church. They would um, bring a sermon. Then they would pray together. There is a moment, this is probably the most difficult one to translate, but when it says um, the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability and the people are sent saying amen, it's actually talking of a, of a moment of corporate worship where everyone together is bringing praise and thanksgiving to God. Then they, uh, they have a point where they take communion together. They remember what Jesus did on the cross and then there's an offering. These same seven elements are the same seven things that happen in, in churches all across the world today. We meet regularly. Uh, there is reading of scripture. There's um, a sermon. There's prayer. There's worship. And there's offerings. And so this can give us um, an accurate representation that actually the church that Jesus talked about in Scripture is the church today. So we can be confident in that. So psychology shows we need people. Theology says that group of people is the church. And history affirms the church of today as authentic. How awesome is that? I'm going to, read, I'm going to say that to you one more time. Psychology shows we need people. Theology says that group of people is the church. And history affirms the church of today. No, sorry. At this point, um, I think we've got a pretty strong case here. Um, it'd be, it would actually take a lot to um, knock this case over um, and to actually disprove what, I, what I've said so far. Um, but it leaves a question... Um, you could go away from this and go, well, you know what, I, you know what, I know that we need people, and I know that the church is a place where that's supposed to happen, and I know that, um, I, I know that, like, the church of today is is authentic and, and true, but like, I just, I don't see how this actually affects my 2018, yeah, I'm, I'd get a bit of belonging, but like really, I don't see how this has that much effect on my next year, on, on, how, on going forward from, from here. There's a, an example in scripture of 
the church that is used um, throughout the New Testament, which is the body of Christ. And there's lots of incredible um, explanations of this. And if you just read it and you looked at it from um, like a theological point of view, you'd go, well, that's awesome. Um, we're like interconnected. We're a part of something. We're, what we're doing, we're a part of something bigger than that. But if you look at it from a biological point of view, it brings a whole lot more depth to what is going on. See, biology would tell us that if I right now got this little finger and I chopped it off, that it is 100% useless apart from the body. That it actually has no life apart from the body. And we know that this wouldn't mean physical death um, because that, like... If you leave a church, you don't physically die. But it actually shows us about how our destiny looks in the eyes of God. God doesn't look at you and say, man, I've got this incredible uh, path for you and it's separate from everyone else. And you know what? No matter what else everybody does in your life, it's going to go well. God looks at you as the church and he says, I've got an incredible destiny and I see how every bit fits together. And I know that that you actually 100% depend on that. And I want you to be a part of this because without this, like your destiny, is actually in the church. So psychology shows we need people. Theology says that group of people is the church. History affirms the church of today as authentic. And biology informs us that the church is intertwined with our destiny. This is why it's so so important for us um, it's actually, it's not just about uh, being a part, you know, getting your belonging, getting your thing, but actually like, like, like my little finger that could, uh, you know, like this finger right now, like I could pick stuff up, I could write with this, I could, you know, I could write a book that could change the world. I'm probably not because I'm not a very good writer, but like there is, there, there's actually a lot of potential in my finger right here, but if I was to take it, remove it from my body, so much of that goes, it can hold down a bit of paper, and that's about it. <laughs> Don't think about it too much. Would you please stand? Let's have the band up. My aim this morning was I really wanted to give you um, not just a emotion-filled a response to, to this, but I actually wanted to give, especially the intellectual people in the room, um, some facts um, and use some areas of um, science and um, social sciences to actually show you that this is not just um, like this is not just an ideal thing. It's actually it's important for your life. I think too many of us could think of people that had incredible destinies, that had incredible giftings, that uh, that were doing amazing things in God. That you could see the call all over their life, and then through circumstance and disappointment they have become disconnected and and where they are right now is so different so far from what God was calling them to we're lucky that God is is an incredible incredible God and he is forever merciful and if any 
any of you feel disconnected, you can be reattached like that. God will always plug you back in. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. Nothing could ever separate you from the love of God. That's my hope for you this morning. I'm going to pray and then, um, and then we're going to do one more thing and then we're going to finish with a song of praise. But why don't you just put your hands out in front of you this morning as we pray together. Father, I thank you that you love every single person in this room. Father, I thank you that you have a plan, a purpose, and a destiny um, for everyone here, God. And I thank you um, that people would be encouraged and um, excited about making a commitment, not just to church for the sake of it, but making a commitment to family because that's the place they belong. That's the place, like there is a heart desire to be a part of what is going on here and wherever um, your church may be, whatever that looks like, that there would be a desire to be a part of what God is doing and and that we would understand that our destiny is not just in a prophetic word. It's not just in the next thing that God might say, but it's actually in the people God has placed in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. And God, over any person this morning that that feels discouraged or or feels like they're they're not connected or they're missing out, God, I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, that you are coming in um, and you are meeting with people, calling them up and you're grafting them into this body of Christ. In Jesus' name.